Amen. Um, if you could open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Um, Colossians chapter 3. Some of you, your new black Bibles. Woohoo. Colossians chapter 3. Um, I should almost say the page number for that one now. Uh, let me see if I can find it. Let's pray and before we enter into God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, that we can come uh, before your word now. And Lord, we pray as we look at Colossians 3 together that, Lord, you would speak uh, into our lives, you would speak uh, into our hearts, and that we might know you, the true and living God, the one who leads us, the one who guides us, and the one who ultimately, Lord, will bring us home. And so we long for that day. We look forward to that day. Uh, when we will be home with you in paradise. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Um, you made a decision this morning when you woke up. In fact, all of you made this decision this morning, I'm pretty sure, when you wake, woke up. And you will make it again tomorrow morning. And you've probably been making it um, every day of this week. And the decision you have made is this. The clothes that you will wear. You have asked yourself a question every single morning when you have woken up. What clothes will I wear today? And we are glad you made that decision this morning. But we all have to ask that question, don't we? What clothes will I wear today? And for some of us, it is a very big question. What clothes am I going to put on today? For some of us, we don't really care about the question, but we do have to ask the question, what clothes am I going to put on today? And for us as Christians, that is the question we need to ask ourselves every day. What clothes am I going to put on today? And I don't just mean the physical clothes that we are going to put on. I believe that God would ask us, to ask this question of our spiritual clothes every single day. What clothes am I going to wear spiritually today? What clothes am I going to put on spiritually today? And the reason I believe God would have us ask that question is because there are clothes that are our old clothes that we are not meant to be putting on. And Paul has talked about those clothes, hasn't he, over, over the past two weeks. He said to us, in effect, there are these two wardrobes that you have in your life. The first wardrobe is this, the wardrobe of sexual sins. And what he has said, in that wardrobe you have sexual immorality, impurity, um, passion, uh, uh, evil desire and covetousness. You have these clothes in that wardrobe. And here's what I want you to do with that wardrobe. I want you to take those clothes in that wardrobe and I want you to put it to death. And then last week we saw he, he pointed out another wardrobe to us. Not the wardrobe of our sexual sins, but the wardrobe of our relational sins. And in that wardrobe we had clothes of anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk. In that wardrobe. And what did he say for us to do with those clothes? He told us to take those clothes and to put them all away. And so if you have got rid of all your clothes, if you've put those clothes to death, and if you've put all these clothes away, then what is your question? What clothes am I going to wear now? 
If I have put all my clothes to death, and if I have put all my clothes away, what clothes am I going to wear now? And so Paul answers that for us in our passage today. Colossians chapter 3 verse 12, it says this. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This is God's word to us. And in God's word, there is a clear command here, isn't there? In verse 12. And we've walked through all of these commands. You know, you know that Paul is in the practical part of his letter when he starts giving all these commands. And, and the commands were seek the things above and set your minds on the things above and, and put to death all your sexual sins and, and put away, um, all your relational sins and, and do not lie to one another. And now he comes to this command put on put on but before I get into the command what I want to do is take a little bit of time more time uh, in the sermon in verses 12 to 13 because in these verses what he does is he interrupts his command look at verse 12 listen to what he says put on then as God's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility and meekness What I want you to see there is how he interrupts himself. Put on then. You see, he could have just said, put on then compassion and humility and kindness, but he doesn't say that. In fact, what he does say is this. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And that is so important for us to remember as we are looking at this command. What he wants us to remember is who we are before he tells us what to do. And who we are in this text, it says we are God's chosen and holy and beloved ones. Because here is what happens to us in our hearts. When we look at the sin in our lives, we tend to believe... That God hasn't chosen us. That God doesn't see us as holy and He doesn't see us as beloved. Because I don't know if you ever feel this in your Christian life, but do you ever feel like a failure in your Christian life? Do you ever feel like if there was a prize for the worst Christian in the world, you might be a contender for that prize? Do you know why you feel that way? Because you know yourself. You know the actions you do, you know the thoughts you say, you know the words you say. And so you feel like a failure. And so often what happens then is we see these commands. We see God saying something like this to us. If you do not be compassionate, I am going to disown you. That is a lie. What God is saying is, I own you, I have chosen you, now put on compassion. Sometimes we might see God saying to us, listen, if you do not put on love, I will not love you. But that is a lie. 
God is saying, I do love you. You are my chosen child. I do love you. Now I want you to put on love. You are loved. I showed you that love in sending my very own son. He walked to Calvary. He got the nails in his hands and his feet. I love you. I have demonstrated that love for you. And so now I want you to put on these clothes. As God's chosen ones, as God's holy ones, as God's beloved ones, we are to put on these clothes. It is amazing this language God uses of his people. Very similar language back in the day of God's people, Israel. And listen to how he uses these words, similar. He says this, Deuteronomy 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you are the fewest of all peoples, the Lord says. But it is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Why did the Lord choose them? Why out of all of the nations in the world did God choose Israel? Why did he love them? That passage would say to us, he loved them because he loved them. He chose them because he chose them. He loves you. Because He loves you. He chose you because He chose you. It is nothing to do with you. It is all of His wonderful, amazing grace. And so then He says to you, dear and beloved children, I've got some clothes for you to wear. And I've laid it out for you on your bed. And I put it out for you every morning. And I want you to put them on. And so this is what God is saying to us here in Colossians chapter 3. So what clothes are we to put on? Verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience. These are the clothes that we are to put on. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Now instead this morning of of going through each word and looking at what each one of them might mean, here is what I want you to do. I want you to see the words that he has used and ask yourself, well, why does he use those words? And follow Paul's logic here. Here's what Paul says. You've got this one wardrobe, the wardrobe of sexual sins. And here's what I want you to do with them. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Here's what I want you to do with those clothes. I want you to put them to death. And then he takes another wardrobe, the wardrobe of relational sin. And he says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk. And here's what I want you to do with those clothes. I want you to take them and put them all away. Then what does he do? He says, listen, God has new clothes for you to put on. And what are those new clothes? Compassionate hearts, kindness, 
humility, meekness, and patience. Paul has set this up perfectly to say, you put all these away, here's what I want you to do. I have something instead for you to wear as God's chosen ones. And the reason I think Paul does this is this. He has in mind for us a picture. And so when I was younger, I played um, hockey uh, on this team quite at a competitive level. I actually played with, with Johnny as well here in this room together on the same team. And there was this time we, we traveled to Barcelona together. We traveled to Barcelona and it was the highlight of my career. He went on to the great heights there is, but it was the highlight of my career, about 15 or 16. And so here we were in Barcelona and we got to play in the Olympic Village. It was quite a privilege actually to play there. And I, and I loved playing with this coach. I, I liked this coach, but I hated his tactics. And the reason I hated his tactics was he, because he asked us to play every single game. He asked us to play what you would call a half-court press. And basically, if you don't know what a half-court press, it's this. You, you basically play the entire game in defense. You just run from side to side as they keep passing the ball together. They keep all the possession. And they are the ones on attack. And you hopefully, with all your defense, you'll hopefully get the ball eventually and score. Well, guess what happened to us? We lost every single game. Now, why did we lose every single game? Well, simply put, we were worse than the other teams. That's why we lost every single game. But one of the reasons I think we did lose is because we played in defense all the time. If you play in defense all the time, you're probably going to lose. And you see, this is what I think happens in our Christian life. We sit there and we play defense all the time. Take anger, for example. If you were to take your anger, for example, and you were to hear what I've been saying these last few weeks, put to death all your anger and put away all your anger. If you were to just go home and sit in a corner and say to yourself, you know what, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry, I'm not going to be angry. Is that going to help you? That's you just playing in defense all the time. And as Christians, I don't think we're called to play in defense all the time. I think we're called to put something on. I think we're called to replace these sins of anger with something else. So what if you were to do that in your life? What if in your household, instead of speaking words of anger, you went out on attack and and spoke words of kindness? What happens if you replaced one with the other? You see, so often Christians just talk about the battle that they have with sin and the sin that is consuming me. We're always talking about putting something off instead of talking about putting something on. And so if we were to do that by the Spirit, if by the Spirit, Romans 8.13, if by the Spirit we were to put to death the deeds of the flesh and then put on the new clothes that God has given us, I believe by the Spirit we could have some victory in these areas. And that surely is what Paul is telling us to do. Put off these old ways of life and put on the new ways of life. And as he tells us to do that, He tells us what that looks like. Because in this, he is telling us essentially to put on Christian character. Put on Christian character. 
And the Christian character is compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But then he tells us how that Christian character is to look in our lives. Bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And so he gives us a picture as to how this Christian character is to play out in our lives. He gives us two I-N-G words, bearing and forgiving. That's what we are to do. This is how this character plays out in its life, in our lives. It, it bears and it forgives. And what I love about the, these words and what I love about this verse, verse 13, is this. He is very real with us. There is a very... Um, uh, a good and strong realness in this verse. And, and here's why I say that. Because when he says you need to bear with one another, what does that presume? There is a presumption behind that, isn't there? If we are to bear with one another, what does that presume? It presumes that at, at times we might find one another unbearable, right? If you're to bear with one another, what does that mean? You might find one another unbearable. You know, people could look at these verses and say, oh, here go the Christians again with their meekness and with their kindness and with their humility. And it just sounds so weak, right? It sounds so unrealistic. Are we really going to be living in this Christian, you know, utopia? Is that what it's going to be? But then he says, not only bear with one another, but forgive one another. Now, if he says forgive one another, what does that presume? That presumes that we're probably going to hurt one another, doesn't it? Yes, we're called to put on these things. Yes, we're called to forgive. Why? Because God knows we're probably going to hurt one another. And so we're called to a life, not only in our homes, but he's actually talking about the church here, where we bear with one another and forgive one another and do that actively. So, if someone hurts you, in this room, what are you supposed to do? If someone hurts you in this room, what are you supposed to do? You see, there are two things that we often do, and we often do this in our households, but we, we can do it in the church. There's two things that we often do when someone hurts us. When someone hurts us, one, we might grumble behind their back, Never say anything and eventually we'll explode. Or two, we go to the person directly and we speak very aggressively about how they have hurt us and how they have wronged us. Those are the two things we tend to do. And if we do that, do you know what happens to the church? That destroys the church. If you look at any church that has been destroyed, one of the reasons I would say these churches have been destroyed is because there has been a lack of forgiveness and reconciliation. So what do we do? Instead of grumbling behind people's backs and instead of going out and all attack, what do we do? Well, I think from this passage, there's a few things that we should do. If someone has hurt us, do you know what you should do? First, you should put away all anger and malice and wrath you have against that person. First, put away all the anger you have against that person. Second, what should you do? Put on kindness, 
and gentleness and humility toward that person. And once you have done that, then go to the person and talk to them. Don't talk to them just to tell them the wrong that they have done, but talk to them because you want forgiveness and reconciliation to happen in that relationship. And when that happens in the church, do you know what must happen? At the end of verse 13, it tells us what must happen. You also must forgive. If someone comes to us and asks for forgiveness, guess what? You don't have an option to say, oh, I'm going to think about it. Let me see. Let's weigh this up and see. As if I'm the great judge who who holds all the cards. No, you must forgive. The Christian does not have an option. If another Christian comes and asks for forgiveness and is genuinely repentant, you must forgive. And you say, that is too much. There's no way. It has to depend on what they have done to me. It has to. Why should I do that? Because the Lord has forgiven you. We have been forgiven much. And therefore we should forgive much. All our sins were nailed to the cross. When we ignored Him, when we hurt Him, when we persecuted Him. And yet even on the cross, what did He say? What did He say on the cross? Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And so for us, I wanted to put most of our time and most of our weight into those two verses. For us, we must put on Christian character. We don't have an option. And for us in this church, as we carry on together and stumble and fumble in life, we must always seek Forgiveness and reconciliation together. Put on Christian character. Secondly, I think he says, put on Christian love. Look at verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. I want you to put on Christian character, but above all these, I want you to put on love. You see, because there is something that happens, I think, pretty much in every Irish household, pretty much every single morning. It is what I call the jacket debate. So here's what happens. The child is running out of the house, and the parent says what? Put on your jacket. And of course, the jacket then seems like the worst thing in the world you could ever possibly ask them to do. Why could I put on my jacket? And then so you say, put on your jacket. They say, I don't need my jacket. You say, put on your jacket. Why does the parent say that? Why did my mom say that to me? And by the way, she was always right. It was always going to rain. Why does she say that to me? Because she knows the weather and she knows that the clothes that I've got on currently aren't going to be good enough. There's something that I need over those clothes and it is the jacket. And that is what Paul is saying here. Meekness and kindness and humility and all that, that's grand. But if you haven't got on the jacket of love, you're not going anywhere. 
You have to have love. If you don't have love, it's not going to make sense. Why? Because verse 14, he says, it binds everything together in perfect harmony. Love binds all these things together. It brings them all together. So what that means is without love, you cannot have compassion. Without love, you cannot have kindness. Without love, you cannot have humility. You cannot have meekness. And you cannot have patience. You must have love. If you do not have love, you don't have anything. And that is what we as Christians are called to. We talked about this, some of us on on Friday night, about this idea of brotherly love. The, the, the high element of love. What is the, the greatest commandment? The greatest commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. And, and love your neighbor as yourself. Without love we've got nothing. If you want to summarize what you are to do as a Christian, it is love. And so essentially if you were to summarize verses 12 to 13, you could say love. Put on love. And why should we put on love? For the exact same reason we should put on forgiveness. 1 John 4, 16. He first loved us. We love because He first loved us. This is why we put on love. In fact, the reason why we put on all of this is because of Him. We put on compassion because He was compassionate to us. We put on kindness because He was kind to us. We put on humility because He was humbled even to the point of death on the cross for us. We put on patience because He was patient with us. We put on forbearance because He was forbearing with us. We put on forgiveness because He forgave us. And we put on love because He loved us. This is why we put on love. And there is nothing more loving in a Christian relationship when you seek out forgiveness and reconciliation. A good while back, I called one of my friends. Um, I called him because I had wronged him. And I should have, we should, we should have by right met face to face, but we, we couldn't. And so I knew I had wronged him and so I, I called him up and I said, look, here, here's what I did. I shouldn't have done it. I, I explained it out. You know, you, you explain it out. You're, you're tempted to make all the excuses, right? Just say what you've done and ask for forgiveness. And do you know what he said to me? Thank you. Something to this effect. Thank you for caring about our relationship enough to say this to me. One of the most loving things we can do is seek out reconciliation and forgiveness. And we won't do it if we don't have love. We have to love one another in this way. And so he calls us to put on love. And then verse 15, our last verse, he calls us not only to put on Christian character and put on Christian love, but he calls us to put on Christian peace. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. Put on peace. Let peace rule here. Not any peace, but the peace of Christ. Let that peace rule here. And all we need to say in this is this. In churches often, um, 
they get destroyed because they let anger rule in the church. They let jealousy rule in the church. They let disunity rule in the church. And that should never be the way in this church. Christ must rule. Christ must be the head. We must let the peace of Christ rule here. And the reason why we need to let the peace of Christ rule here is because in these verses, Christians are given four descriptors, four descriptors of themselves. We have been called chosen and holy and loved, but we are also called. Verse 15 tells us we are called in one body. We are chosen, we are holy, we are loved, but we are also called. Now sometimes we read these descriptors as individuals. We read and we say, oh well, I'm chosen, I'm holy, I'm, I'm loved, I'm called. And yes, that is true individually. But this is true corporately. We are chosen, we are holy, we are beloved, and we are called corporately into what? One body. And therefore we say with verse 11 of chapter 3, Here there is not a Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And what that means is you might have loads of different personalities, you might have loads of different nationalities, you might have loads of different social backgrounds, but we are called to what? One body with one head. Jesus Christ, who rules us, and we are to live in peace. Put on Christian character. Put on love. Put on peace. And I just couldn't let this one go. Put on Christian thankfulness. Look at the last few words he says. And be thankful. And you might just think, you know, that's that's just you know, an add-on phrase that he kind of last minute thought about, you know, and be thankful. He, he just, he just added that on. But, but for Paul, his commands are really, really important. In fact, if you look at the commands in the New Testament books, you know, if you, you rate them all and you look at them all, James wins at something like 59 commands. In fifth place, where is it? Colossians, something like 34, 35 commands. And all of them kind of come in the second half. And so what Paul is doing is he's just lining up these commands that we are to follow on the basis of who we are in Christ. And you, you've heard the commands. I've already said them. Let me say them again. Set your minds on the things above. Seek the things above. Put to death what is earthly in you. Put away all that is anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Put them all away. Do not lie to one another. Put on compassionate hearts. Put on love. And be thankful. See, that's more important than you actually think it might be in just those words. And be thankful. He's commanding us to do this. And this in our world, I would, I would argue that this in our world right now is one of the most difficult commands for us to keep. It is one of the most difficult commands for us to keep. Do you know why? We live in a world that is a world full of comparison. We compare ourselves to other people all the time. 
Why? Because we see photos of other people and other families and, and their possessions and how perfect their lives look and we see all that is going on and we, we think, we think we, they have it all and so when we compare ourselves we, we think that we don't have anything. And so what happens if you play that comparison game? If you're constantly comparing the house you have and the car you have and the clothes you have and the relationships you have, if you constantly are living that comparison game, do you know what's going to happen to you? You are going to be discontent. And if you live a life of discontentment, do you know what's going to happen to you? You're not going to be thankful. You're going to spend your whole life complaining about what you don't have rather than being thankful about what you do have. This is what we are called to do as Christians. Do you know what could happen to us? I know what's going to happen. Come November, guess what's going to happen to this room? It's going to get freezing. It's going to be really cold. And then Friday Bible studies, we may end up having to meet in this room. Do you know what you're going to start saying? Man, I hate this building. Why is it so cold? No, brothers and sisters, thank God that we have a place to meet. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place to meet on Fridays and Sundays. Thank you, Lord, that we can still gather. Do you see how that changes the whole atmosphere in the church? Why do we have to wear these masks? They're so uncomfortable. No, thank God we can wear them. Thank God we can sing with them on. Thank you, Lord. Do you see how that changes everything? Do you see how that could change everything in your home? These people are so annoying. They're so frustrating. I hate them. No. Thank God I have someone in my home. Thank God they're with me. Thank God I have life. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we had a church that was just always saying thanks to God for what we have. It should always be our attitude. So brothers and sisters, let me encourage you. Put on Christian character. Put on Christian love. Put on Christian peace. And put on Christian thankfulness. And let us respond by singing by this we no love. So let us stand together, sing it to the Lord, sing it to one another with our masks on.